You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. Today's episode was brought to you by Lilo, the leading luxury sex toy brand combining pleasure, innovation and luxury to create sex toys for both solo and couple pleasure. I am very proud to work with Lilo as their UK sex expert and you can use the code KMLILO15 at lilo.com for the rest of 2021 to claim 15% off your order. Safe to say that over the course of history, our sex lives have massively evolved, impacted by changes in social context, development, laws, and the invention of medicine and technology. And so today, I really wanted to hold a conversation around what's coming up next and what our sex lives might look like in the future and going forward. And one of my favourite experts on the topic of the future of sex is the fabulous Bryony Cole, who has been on stages across the world, forecasting trends in the sex tech industry for governments, tech titans and entertainment companies. And she is the creator and host of the Future of Sex podcast, founder of Sex Tech School and Love Honey's resident sex tech advisor. Bryony, I guess, is the internet biggest change that has ever and will ever happen to our sex lives I mean let's just go straight in at the deep end gosh yeah let's let's get into it you know in many ways I think yes because it impacts all genders I think we could go back a couple of decades and go wow the the pill and contraception also was a huge revolutionary technology um, that changed the way people had sex because they you know they had a really good reliable source of contraception. But right now the internet and just in all its many forms has disrupted so much of how we understand sex, how we have sex, how we solicit sex, how we, you know, um, understand our sexual health. It just sort of touches every area of sexuality. So I do think it's probably the biggest shift in history around sexuality. Hmm. I'm going to agree with you. (laughs) And I've heard the, um, obviously, the first sexual revolution being the pill in in the 60s and the internet being the second sexual revolution. So it's quite interesting that you said that. Mm. Yep, that's how it it feels to me as well. Um, And it's this constant revolution because we look at how quickly even the internet just continues to change. The internet Mm. is this huge technology, but so many different things. The internet is today in 2021 to even 10 years ago, you know, when dating apps were first introduced, you know, and that was so revolutionary. But now we have, you know, not only dating apps, but different ways to make money from having sex online and, and to experience being there in person or, you know, having... Um, a sexual relationship with a toy that's across the other side of the world connected to a person, all thanks to the internet. Mm. And that word revolution, do you think that that applies to these two things as the biggest contributing factors in changing our sexual behaviours? I do, because I think revolution implies not only like a technology or an innovation, but it's also a cultural, social, political uprising or movement. And both in both those times, like the paradigm we have around sex and, and gender changed significantly. And even, you know, looking at today's, you know, movements online, especially on platforms like Twitter and social media, how much momentum was gathered because we were on the internet around 
um, Time's Up or Me Too and those sorts of movements that, yeah, I think it, I think it broadens it broadens out to a revolution rather than just like this is an interesting product and change. This is actually revolutionary and completely changing the way we live our lives. Mm, I'm just thinking back to when I was younger and friends of my parents started online dating and it was considered kind of quite taboo at the time or kind of a bit... um, not necessarily like embarrassing, but a bit something that people didn't really want to talk about or it was framed as a way of people who really were struggling to try and meet people. And now I think the current statistic is something like 25% of marriages or 25% of long-term relationships are from people who have met online. I'd be surprised. It sounds low even to me. I feel like at least for generations today, the majority of people meet online and you're right. It, we don't consciously realise how our mindset, how our like attitudes towards these things change until it's upon us, you know, and I, re- I remember those moments too of when dating apps were first coming out and thinking, oh, I'll never go on a dating app. Mm. And, you know, sure enough, fast forward five, ten years when it's not so embarrassing frankly um because the culture around it's changed everyone sort of assimilated into using smartphones as like a third arm and it just feels like well this is a normal this is very normal day-to-day thing to do but when did that change occur when did that shift in our attitudes occur you can't really trace it back and go oh it was this one thing but slowly over time our attitudes towards sex and tech really change and the way we use technology for sex or dating or falling in love it really changes but I think we forget that and I I use that example a lot when people talk about sex robots and go oh my god this is going to be so terrible and you know we're all going to be replaced and and go into this like this is the worst thing ever and think well remember dating apps and how that it's Mm. suddenly turned out to not be the worst thing and also our attitudes are not you know, we're not nearly as fearful or embarrassed about dating apps. It's probably what's going to happen um, with other technologies, whether that is, you know, scary things right now like robots mm. or something else. Do you think, I mean, I guess for me, obviously there was the invention of the internet was huge, but I think the smartphone probably, like particularly kind of eyes on the iPhone, um, which dominates the market, but that that's accessibility all hours, anytime, constant, um, I suppose, multifunctional ability to do anything from exactly where we're at in that moment, I guess probably for me feels like the thing that's changed most of our human behaviours across the board. Mm, Yeah, it certainly propelled the behaviours and the possibilities a lot faster than just the internet on a desktop, Mm. you know. So it is like smartphones that have really made all of this happen a lot sooner because it's, as you say, it's like 24-7 on demand, um, anything that you want. And so it's those two powers combined. It's all it's kind of like getting a new engine in a car or something. It's like, oh wow, now we can go a lot faster, for better or worse, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, having that as an extension of yourself, you know, like it's very rare that people now separate their identity online with their identity offline. Mm. You know, maybe unless they're watching porn or something. But they're, they're, again, if we like think back to 
back in the day where there was this, you know, and chat servers and things, there was always this idea that we had this separate self online. But I think more and more so now people, you know, use their own name, they, uh, you know, use their own photos and stuff. And and there is a lot more of a blend, you know, between our online and our offline personalities. And part of that is because we have these smartphones everywhere, like literally like another limb mm. in bed with us and through throughout the day more than another human or any other thing in our life, you know, more than our underwear even. I think people wear, wear their smartphones more than they wear underwear. Mm. And I was at um, a therapy conference and someone said the primary relationship in our lives is with our smartphones and everyone did an inaudible murmur and a bit like, oh, no, I don't think that's true. That's a weird thing to think about. But actually, it, it, I think the reason it created such a reaction because everyone was thinking, mm, yeah, it is true. <laughs> mm, there's definitely some truth in that mm. that we don't like. <laughs> yeah, and there's a word you just used there, um, possibility. And I guess in terms of how exciting the future of sex is, what do you think some of those possibilities are? Because I think, um, you know, I think that we get hooked up on the negatives of all of this stuff. And yes, of course, you know, technology and online and the internet has changed a lot of how we relate as humans or how we do things and I think has a lot to answer for in relationships and obviously as a relationship therapist I'm going to talk to people about their tech habits and how it can create a barrier and how it can get in the way and but there are so many doors that it's opened up as well and mm. I suppose a large part of what I guess you're going to say is that it's about equality um, in the bedroom, if we want to use that term. Mm. But what, what are the biggest possibilities that you think the future of sex holds or where we're on our way to or nearly at or have kind of achieved recently? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's infinite. And I think people are right to be, you know, worried or fearful as much as they are right to be hopeful you know that it is very polarizing and you talk about technology in the future of sex because people have a lot of things that are complicated under the surface around that you know their sexual values their attitudes towards technology the society they grew up in all that sort of stuff their age will contribute to how they feel about the future of sex and what's possible. So if we set aside just the the fearful dark side for a moment and talk about the possibilities, it's really exciting. I think now five years into this study of, you know, this field, looking at the way that innovation has become more accessible, right? Like just like how in in general business terms there are more entrepreneurs today, more people able to run their businesses um, from home or start small businesses because they have more access to resources. Maybe that's just like Google. Um, then in the world of sex tech as well, there are so many more possibilities and more people able to build sex toys or products around that because um, there's just more access to the mm. space now. There's more um, interesting things going on with less money. You know, building an app doesn't cost as much as it did 10 years ago yeah. and so people will have an idea and then create it and within that the most exciting stuff I think with sexuality is that access for minority populations um, people that typically don't have access to a lot of money or capital or aren't heard in the you know general mainstream sex conversations so that might be communities um, around disability it might be um, you know people with 
you know, that are stuck in rural areas with crappy sex education. It might be even the ageing population who are highly sexual but haven't had their needs heard. So what's happening is these what I call invisible populations are coming forth with really interesting, innovative ideas and actually going ahead and building them and making them. Um, and that's that's in the short term, you know, that this isn't like far out augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality stuff. This is very simple prototypes for how can we build a sex toy if I have mobility issues or yeah. I can't use my hands, a vibrator doesn't work, does no good. And companies like Handy, who are, um, you know, a brother-sister team. I'm not sure if you're aware of them, Kate. But they're really interesting story where the brother, you know, has grown up with a disability and had to hire a sex worker in order to have any sort of sexual contact, can't masturbate, and was telling his sister about it when they got older, right, which sounds like a strange conversation to have with your sister, but these are really important conversations that we just don't think about if we don't have these issues and she was an innovator and she's like well why don't we why don't we build something um and consulted with this whole disability community around sex and why hasn't there been sex toys for people with hand you know Mm. mobility issues with the hands so they've got a great prototype coming out in a couple of months or not a prototype anymore commercial product they've commercialized it um so check them out i think another one really interesting example of what's coming in the near term um, is a company called the VDOM, which is a smart strap-on penis, goes from flaccid to erect at the touch of a button, you know, like any sort of smart wearables. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is it was developed by someone who was like, you know what, I want to have sex with my wife, I, you know, when I'm out and about or just like someone else would be able to generally um, and she's a lesbian and she said, I also want to feel, you know, more of my expression and my identity and a lot of the times those sort of marginalised communities have to walk around with a sex toy on, you know, to feel masculine or to feel that sense of sexual expression um, which, you know, you want a prosthetic that can work as double as a sex toy, which is what she's doing. So those sorts of things to me are solving issues where no one's really thought of, oh, yeah, well, maybe someone would want to, you know, be able to feel masculine but also have sex but not have to, you know, walk around with a strap-on that's only designed for sex. What about Mm. if it was designed for just, you know, being in the world? So they're, like, really the technologies that I geek out on because I go, wow, like... You could you could think about your own sex life and think about where are the issues that you think could be better. What could I enhance um, in my own life or my own life experience, and then go build it. Mm. So it feels like what you're saying is starting with that word possibilities. That actually the possibilities are possibility. You know, are the fact that yeah. people can create this. And you know, you and I were talking before we came online. Um, about how the first podcast we did together was in 2016 mm. and how um, I was working with an app and we were just too far ahead of the time. You know, we were too early yeah. at something, as a product that doesn't exist anymore. But how now it feels like what everyone is trying to create is something similar or concepts kind of similar or, you mm. know, we were trying to, I suppose, use technology as which was the problem which and the problem was a barrier to intimacy as the solution when people are together in person as the solution and I feel like that's what we're seeing more is 
products to combat the problems that people are finding themselves in and for me as um, a psychosexual therapist I'm really interested in products for example that help people who might have organic erectile dysfunction because of prostate cancer surgery or because they've had an injury Mm. or because they've had a spinal cord injury or women who have had FGM or people who Mm. have had sexual trauma. You know, I'm so interested in how we can create products to, I suppose, help people get to a level of sexual well-being and wellness, which is what they are looking for them as an individual not something which is a prescribed idea or a should and I think that as a therapist I I work pretty creatively I think um and we try and kind of view what's going on as something to work around so a bit like a speed bump or a bit like a uh something we need to create a diversion around or if we're unable to go over it and A lot of that is to do with our sexual narratives and our sexual ideas and our thinking about sex. But it is also finding practical solutions for people. And for some people, it might be things like, it sounds really simple here, but positioning pillows under certain body parts in order to be able Mm. to manoeuvre their body better. Or it Mm. could be a um, wearable vibrator for a man, which induces an erection for him because Mm. it creates, it brings blood flow because of the increase in sensitivity and sensation. And that is enough to get him started because that's something he's unable to achieve himself or unable to maintain himself. And then these things can also be combined with medications or with devices like cock rings, for example. So we can get around some of these problems if we're able to think about them. So I suppose also there's this approach of thinking about how we solve these sexual problems of which there are a huge amount but then how do we get them out into the world and something in terms of thinking about the future about sex that I think is also worth mentioning is what we know is that people who are creating sexual wellness well-being sexuality pleasure products also really struggle with getting them to market or really struggle with getting investors or really struggle with marketing or advertising on social media platforms and things and so I guess also a part of this conversation about the future of sex is do you think that is going to change because sex tech Mm. is a booming booming business huge growth market yeah I think that will change the more our attitudes around sexuality and removing that taboo change because at the end of the day that's who's behind these companies and you know predominantly this is cis hetero white men that are behind these companies especially like big banks and the big social media platforms technology companies those sorts of things that right now are either limiting access to funds or you know removing and censoring people on social media that run sexual wellness companies so I think that's slowly changing I think some of the signals that we see that that's going to change in the future is what we see on our tv screens or our netflix screens right and we're seeing a lot more sort of nuanced conversations around sex and programming, you know, everything from sex education to euphoria sort of present different elements and lenses on sexuality that, you know, back in Sex and the City days in like, I don't know, was that late 90s, that there was a very formulaic 
idea of what mm. sex and sexuality should be and now we see this sort of increasing um you know variety of, of like identities which i think is really healthy and real it's also reflected in legislation and changes um as well in different governments not enough yet yeah. but those sort of things is like there's a bit of a there's a bit of momentum there and as that changes my optimistic sex tech positive mindset and approach has been yes those platforms will open up those banks will decide you know what this is actually a huge investment um, and financial um, opportunity so we're going to open those things up it's just little by little it was a year ago that I was outside Facebook headquarters in New York with a whole bunch of women of sex tech founders you know protesting around censorship um, and not much has changed. You know, we've, we haven't seen that much change. Yeah. So it's still very tough. And I think there are, you know, hacks and tricks to get around the algorithm, but there's really only so much you can do there. There needs to be substantial change from the top. But I do think that is in the near future. Like even just looking at the last few months, Kate, and like the celebrities that are now joining sex toy brands or sexual wellness brands, mm. like... Um, you know, Cara Delevingne and um, Lily Allen and more recently Gwyneth Paltrow a couple of weeks ago released her own vibrator. Yeah. Hate it or love it because there is a representation problem on the fact that whereas, whereas all the different, you know, genders, sexuality, races represented here in terms of joining sex toy companies. But I will say that never would have happened a couple of years ago, even yeah. three years ago. So stuff is changing. Again, kind of like the, the attitudes towards dating apps and Tinder, getting on Tinder has changed. Things are changing, but sometimes we don't realise it because it feels like it's going at a snail's pace. Mm. And I think it may be something that people have never really thought about and people who haven't kind of built these businesses or presented to investors or anything might have never thought about financial mm. backing being one of the biggest challenges that we face in making the sexual developments that we want to or you know and that's I suppose a, a bigger kind of sex tech um space but on an individual level people probably won't have even considered that actually there are quite a lot of barriers to people getting products or apps or ideas out there and mm. And I guess that that kind of drips down to an individual level as well. And I mean, what do you, what do you think? I suppose same question, but on an individual scale mm. rather than a bigger scale. The biggest challenges that we face in making the sexual developments that we want to are. Yeah, I, it always comes back to me um, because I think of my own life, and it comes back to education. Mm. Like. If I had great sex education when I was younger, I don't think I would have faced a lot of the hurdles and had to, had to start Future of Sex podcast, you know, to go on my own journey. Yeah. And I think that's what is like, it's really the key to everything is, is some amazing sex education. And once that changes, I think it unlocks a whole lot of just potential for your own expression and trying things and unlocking the shame that you might feel um, through cultural conditioning or where you grew up that so many of us are shackled to. And I always, always come back to that when I talk to people, friends, whatever, about the future of sex. It's like, gosh, if we all just had amazing sex education, like would we still need to be doing this? Mm. Yeah, it's such a big point, isn't it? And I think that 
I think I'm in a completely in agreement with you. And the thing that I, I suppose I describe my job as more than anything is helping people to make informed choices about their sexual well-being and sexual wellness. Um, mm. And key kind of leaning into the informed there because a huge part of my job, you know, one of the key pillars of my job is psychoeducation. And so the educational part might be corrective. It might be... Um, teaching people something that they've never known. It might be us looking at anatomy models or textbooks together in sessions or handouts or people looking at educational videos or listening to podcasts, TED Talks, you know, whatever it is. But there is a huge, um, well, you know, the historical gap that we've seen. Yes, sex education has never really been up to that. But I mean, female pleasure has Mm -hmm. almost never been discussed. Yeah, it's only recently. And I think, again, we we forget that that is so crazy that Mm. we didn't you know study the clitoris or the body and yeah I can understand why your job is now a large part of it can be education for adults that kind of we all missed it um when we were growing up as part of our education in general Mm. it's so necessary but I think one of the things that also I want to say to people which is encouraging is if you're feeling that way do it now Sex education happens across the lifespan. There are so many ways that you can access education now. Like, don't wait any longer or start Mm. doing it in your own little way or start exploring, even if it's gentle, even if it's reading an article or listening to a podcast or buying a book or, you know, you don't have to jump in at the deep end. But I think that it's... we this idea that we didn't have the sex education that we want in itself can become a barrier to people trying to change that and we don't need to accept that anymore. Yeah, I think the, the also this, as you said, like, you know, do it now or, like, just embrace the education side is, like, staying curious. Like, isn't that the best part mm. of just living life anyway? And as you say, the education kind of just evolves over your own journey. It continues as long as you want it to around this stuff, I always feel like I could be learning more and staying curious is like, for me, one of the ways that sex becomes better is just being curious about it Mm. and what's happening next. My top three ingredients for a, for sexual wellbeing are like curiosity, communication and lube. I'm like, those are the three. Ah, yes, I love that. (laughs) I love that. Ah, yeah, because the second one for me is communication, but you're right, lube in in all um in all elements of sex like before and you know if you're having sex with yourself or something or no matter how wet you think you can be like that your natural lubricant runs Mm. out they are the three necessary ingredients for great sex yeah and I think it doesn't solve everything obviously you know there are some people that have health conditions or are really struggling or need have hormonal imbalances which they need extra assistance with but I mean in a lot of cases, it can really help. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think that's also like a sideline into, you know, the health aspect of mm. the future of sex. Because, for example, um, there is an amazing product called the O-Nut, which I'm sure you've heard of. I know Emily and the O-Nut so well. Yeah. Um, and... You look at a product like that, and for anyone who hasn't heard of it, it basically is a wearable 
um, what they describe as a buffer. So it's worn around the, the base of the penis. So primarily this is for heterosexual couples. And it's um, kind of a very stretchy silicon. And it's worn in little rubber rings. And what it does is it acts as a buffer between the penis and the walls of the vagina. So for people that have painful sex, it kind of absorbs some of the pressure. And it's unbelievable. Like I have recommended it to so many clients. I have one in my office for people to look at. And the reviews from people are amazing. Now, that is something that conceptually isn't overly complicated, isn't anything crazy but nobody has ever done it. <laughs> and that's such a great example, Kate, of, of, yeah, the future of sex, I think, and, and thinking about your own life and, like, what could be better? And Emily did exactly that, thinking, and Emily Sowers, the, co- the, the founder of Onut, um, you know, thought that she was alone in that she had painful sex, there must be something wrong with her, the doctors, you know, that she was seeing couldn't, really give her an answer mm. and so she thought she was something wrong and just sort of started I believe by putting donuts on her boyfriend's penis like actual donuts <laughs> and what, would this work you know how can we do this you know and cre- creating a solution <laughs> um, which that sounds like a delicious solution but um, <laughs> you know that's how the donut was born out of out of someone's issue and thinking I've got to fix this for myself mm. and I think that's what the future of sex is all about and what I love of it what I love about it as an example of the future of sex is I think when we think about the future of sex, you alluded to it earlier, everyone's like, oh, well, it's all about sex robots or it's all about VR yeah. porn. It's all about technology. And actually what we're saying is there can be tech-free products which are about the future mm. of sex. There are better condoms, different types of contraception. Um, think about like fertility medicine, for example, which obviously mm-hmm. pays a part in our sex lives. That There's just, it's not all computers and technology and motors and robots, but I think that it's, mm. it, it's different. We lose sight of some of that stuff sometimes. So true. It can really, it can really be so simple. Um, and Onad is a perfect example of that. It's not a hologram. It's not a, you know, a robot. It's just really simple rubber rings. And technology is, in that sense, just a tool, right? Technology mm. doesn't have to be this high-tech, complicated, sophisticated engineering. If we think about the word technology is a tool to achieve a goal. Mm. So that's so, so simple um, and can be, yeah, as you say, better condoms, better lube even. Mm, a tool to achieve a goal. I'd never really thought about it like that. I'm gonna, yeah. um, I'm gonna repeat that all the time. <laughs> yeah, do it. Um, I'll repeat lube and communication and uh, curiosity is the keys to great sex. <laughs> um, and so, in terms of like terminology, I think that um, a lot of terminology gets bounded around that some people might find confusing or be like, I don't understand what that means. Or sometimes people kind of feel like they should know what it means. I hear words and terminology all the time that I'm constantly Mm. looking up or asking people about or asking people to explain. And, um, one that I wanted to kind of talk about is teledildonics and what, um, they have, I suppose, done for so many people in a pandemic when people have been separated. Mm. It's been a way of people managing their sex lives, Mm -hmm. but being in completely different locations. And I suppose that's the other thing. Um, I mean, maybe maybe that's the next point, but how 
a pandemic which has forced a lot of people apart or disabled people's ability to meet in person or date um, has changed so much stuff or kind of put press the fast forward button on a lot of Mm. things. Yeah, I mean, let's start with teledildonics in that sense for long distance relationships. So teledildonics as a definition is just Wi-Fi or Bluetooth enabled sex toys, Mm. right? So it's a toy that's connected to the internet essentially and probably connected to an app in your phone which you can then give other people permission through them using the same app to control your toy. So that market has exploded. It's been around for a while and the concept of teledildonics we know from, you know, old movies, that sort of thing, even since the 70s. It's such a sci-fi concept Mm. and it's been in the, the psyche for a while. But the pandemic, of course, separated so many partners and people from human touch that teledildonics really was an exciting prospect for a lot of people that probably hadn't considered it before or even considered a sex toy. And, you know, I got all these messages, oh, how can I stay in touch with my partner and, and you know, what can we do creatively? And so that that sales of those sorts of products skyrocketed. And the thing most people don't realise is teledildonics, yes, it can be a, you know, internet-controlled vibrator, but it also can be a male masturbator as well. Mm. And um, you can connect them both together or you might connect them to, you know, a cam girl or something like that or you might be paying to connect to a cam girl or guy. And so there's so many possibilities for these teledildonics and the majority of sales for a while were on campsites pre-pandemic and I think now that's probably changed a lot when we've seen couples buy it and they go well what else can we do and that same sort of technology is used in panty vibrators that you can control remotely and for couples that are staying together and confined during the pandemic and climbing the walls going oh my gosh what else can we do how can we save our marriage or how can we be more interesting Um, that's also been a really compelling purchase too. It's like, oh, we'll buy this remote control panty vibe and we'll go on a walk or, you know, go to the grocery store Mm. and suddenly it gets a lot more interesting. (laughs) So that sort of sex tech I think has has been in the spotlight the last, yeah, the last year. Mm. And I think the idea of teledildonics that I think is really interesting is that, for example, people could sync up. um, So if, if it was a heterosexual couple different sex couple a male partner could have a sleeve and the female partner could have a dildo and they would be making this the movements in sync so both partners Mm. would be experiencing the same thing at the same time and then for example they could be on the phone to each other and it Mm. would be they'd both be experiencing the same sensations from each side of the um, experience but at the same time as if good replicating as if they were having sex in person so I I think there's something about that idea of bringing our sexual experiences together bringing our sexual experiences when we're apart closer together yeah I mean that's as as about as close as we can be while being physically apart. Mm. Now, if you just want to be kind of old school or just simple, a lot of people are just using video chat, whether that's a FaceTime, Zoom or Skype or something, and, and having sex that way too. But I think the toy, using a toy and incorporating that as couples, it adds a bit of um, playfulness and it takes the pressure off. 
um, you know, because you have something else to focus on, which is really fun. It's a novelty. It brings that novelty aspect because, um, you know, as someone that looks at technology, the technology is is not that advanced yet. You know, mm. it can be clunky, it can turn off and, you you know, disconnect just like, you know, on a Zoom call sometimes it doesn't work. And I think it's good to bear that in mind that while it feels futuristic, um, you know, this this concept of like coming together and feeling the same things. We want that to happen, but then like 90% of the time, you know, something funny happens. But I love that it 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 kind of like creates that playtime for people to not take themselves so seriously as well. You mm. know, it, it ends up, I think, in a lot of laughs as well. Um, which is really nice. It's just and a way of people breaking up routines as well and trying yes. new things together, isn't it? And you know, that curiosity thing is mm-hmm. yep. curious couples when they try new things often it can make them feel closer can make them feel yeah. more connected and we were talking about taking our sex lives virtually there and this is a question I get asked all the time in future do you think that we will have more sex virtually than in person I really don't think so because I think there's the technology, even in the future, it's very hard to replicate other things. While you may be able to replicate a sense of touch immediately and things like haptic technology where it feels, you know, similar to how someone would squeeze your skin or, you know, squeeze your hand or grip. Um, and we've had, like, warming technologies too, which make these objects feel a bit more like body-like. a human. Yeah. Body-like, yeah, and, and definitely those materials exist. I think the one thing we forget is how clever and smart the human brain is and it doesn't like to be tricked and so it still acknowledges that this is technology for the Mm. most part and the things that make humans human creativity imagination our intuition um, being mysterious you know doing things that are very unpredictable that's very hard to put into the technology that also feels like skin and you know feels like a human so there's a certain magic to being human that is very difficult to replicate in technology and so I don't think we will have more sex virtually but then again if you were to think about well what is virtual sex if you consider Mm. virtual sex watching porn or something on screen I think a lot of people are already (laughs) having more virtual sex than they are having sex in person so it kind of comes down to the question of do you think sex is you know exchanging of bodily fluids or is it just you know enjoying Mm. yourself and solo sex and I suppose it's what it brings up is probably I mean almost kind of an uh, a totally different episode in itself but this idea of then where is the line so for example if someone is in a committed relationship but they are sexting someone else and they're like well we didn't have sex we're just sexting there's no physical contact but I think it brings up big questions about the future of the modelling of our relationships or our rules around our Mm. relationships or our understanding of commitment or monogamy. And I think that's, as I said, you know, almost a kind of whole conversation in itself. But I think that Mm. in the future, the questions like my partner has a sex doll. Does that mean that it's cheating? well, it's not with another person, but they are replicating that experience in another way. But then are we just saying, arguably, that's a development to someone masturbating or kind of watching porn and masturbating or using a sex toy at the moment? Because for me as a relationship therapist, I often talk to couples who might be struggling with their partner's kind of solo behaviours. 
And we're like, okay, well, what what is the meaning you're taking from this? And often it's, well, I'm feeling like we're not in a good enough place or I'm not doing a good enough job or they're compensating because our sex life isn't working. Or You know, there tends to be quite emotional mm. reasons behind mm. a dislike of a behaviour. So I wonder if we'll move to the place of more acceptance about these solo and couple sex lives running in parallel. Mm, I Yeah, I, I get that question so much around the, you know, is it cheating if I have sex with a robot? And I think you're right. Like it is, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about when people come in to talk to you about this because it's such a negotiation of, a, your feelings and your emotions you have around that, but B, it's also a negotiation and a communication you should have with your partner because every single relationship is different, you know, mm. and and you, I remember being, oh, my gosh, I was in my early 20s and I remember my boyfriend at the time was watching porn and I was so upset because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like cheating, you know, and myself at that time in that moment viewed porn as something as if you watch that, then you cheat. And, look, there's a lot of people out there that also feel that way today um, and I've since changed my mind on that and, and think that's not cheating, but I think it's the same exact same questions we should be asking ourselves. Is that cheating if? Do mm. I consider that cheating if? And how do I communicate and have those conversations with whoever I'm in a relationship with? Because that's when you'll decide if this is cheating or not. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think um, one extra point I suppose I want to tack on to this part of the conversation before we start winding things up is the change in the legalities that we're going to see as a result of the changing future of sex. So, for example, Mm. in the UK, we've got the revenge pornography law now, Mm. which has been um, passed. And so the law is going to have to adapt in order to keep up with these changes to people's sex lives as well and the rulings around these things. And I think that the revenge pornography law is really essential because what it states is that although someone might have given consent at the time those images were shared with a partner, for example, they did not give consent for those images to be shared outside of that relationship or without their consent or to be used against them or for them to be blackmailed Mm. with them. And so even in thinking about all of these developments, obviously what they open up is a possibility for things to go well or things to go badly or things to be taken advantage of or things to be in the control of someone else. And so our laws and our rules have to then also reflect that. A hundred percent. And unfortunately, they're often too slow. Yeah. You know, it takes a while for them to catch up, even the revenge porn laws, which are so necessary. They took a while to come into effect, especially Mm. globally. And there is no ethical committee around sex tech innovation there isn't and it's a bit like the wild west you know people will build stuff and without any thought for consequence and this is largely in technology anyway of what the ramifications might be and I think we need to come back to being really mindful about what we're building and what sort of future we want and those sorts of things and recognize that the law and the legal side and the governments they do take they're delayed. They take a while mm. to catch up. So while we're building these things, we really need to be having these conversations around, you know, is this ethical? Yeah. And so those conversations almost need to be being had 
as we go. Right now, yeah. yeah. And I guess to finish off um, this conversation, I mean, I've got so many questions I could ask you, literally like hundreds, and I, <laughs> could go but I, I think they all go back to a similar theme. Um, so one theme being, you know, we're hearing about this idea of a sex recession, so that the younger generations are reportedly having less sex than generations before. Now, what everyone is pointing the finger at is technology. I would also um, point the finger at high levels of anxiety and performance anxiety and comparison culture and stuff. But I think, again, what it kind of gets um, reflected back on into is the idea that technology has changed all of those things. And I think um, that, again, is almost a whole episode in itself, but it was something I wanted mm. to just nod to in this conversation because it's something that the media have absolutely like hooked onto as well and we're seeing and I think it ties into the conversation we had about people having more sex virtually are the research or the censuses or the studies that are examining this saying when was the last time you had sex with another person and that is meant as physical sexual contact and actually someone's thinking well I was sexing someone yesterday but I haven't had sex with anyone for ages so I'll say it was two months ago but actually their sex life virtually or online or remotely is quite active and I think again how we examine these things and think about these questions is going to shape the the future of how we see these trends um but I guess the big question and the one I think that lots of people are also going to want to know the answer to is what is the biggest current sex trend and what do you think is coming next oh that's a good question I mean, I think what we're seeing right now out of the pandemic is three things very obvious. Biggest sex trend is people are buying sex toys like never before. You know, Mm. it's gone up 700 to 800%. Whether or not they're using them, we don't know because we don't have the research around that. What we can look at uh, is the consumer buying behaviours and people are buying sex toys often for the first time. So there's been a surge in sex toy sales. The second thing is people are relying on online entertainment more than ever before. So nod really to your ideas around, you know, young kids using technology, expressing themselves through technology, um, sexting, you know, engaging in FaceTime sex, all that sort of stuff is definitely on the rise. We're seeing only fans and, you know, people sort of finding avenues for sex work online is exploding. Um, so online entertainment has been huge and then finally to that part around relationships is there have never been more virtual relationships and people have become totally comfortable with video dating Mm. at least again the user behaviors would indicate that maybe they feel a certain way about it but everyone is who's you know single you know more and more it indicates that they're online they're doing video dates they're you know, all the dating apps are including video features now and we're becoming a lot more dexterous in how we sexually express express ourselves and have relationships online, especially the younger it gets in that research that, you know, people are very comfortable having a sexual identity online that probably I would cringe at, you know, in terms of safety and being brought up with the internet and thinking about, you know, I want to online, you know, protect myself and have security, that's not so much of a concern in younger generations simply because they never knew any different. Mm. 
the idea of um we talk talk about like tech natives and tech immigrants yes yes exactly yeah digital natives sex tech natives um <laughs> you know and that's that's the thing is this is none of this is going away it's yeah. here to stay so it's all about how we manage this and how we how we think about it on a personal level of course i think about it on an industry level and a professional level for work and opportunity and innovation but i think we all have a responsibility to think about how we manage the technology and our sexual selves on a personal level too and how much we want to use it and how much it enhances our lives versus detracts from it. Amazing. I mean, I mean, for me, that just feels like the perfect place to end this conversation. Like we all have to be <laughs> conscious of how we manage this part of our lives. Um, and, you know, I think that in a way we do it much more deliberately and consciously in a with a greater awareness for every other aspect of our lives, whether it's our, you know, our fitness, our parenting style, our careers, our diet, our hobbies, our social lives. But sex tends to be, or sexual wellness, you know, our sex lives tend to be the bit that we don't necessarily think about in the same way. And I guess maybe we need to bring bring that all up so it's on the same level. Mm, absolutely. That's a perfect Perfect conclusion. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Bryony, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I'm glad we finally got this follow-up <laughs> five years after our first interview <laughs> I together. Love it. Um, oh, <laughs> which it. seems so special. Oh, it seems mad, doesn't it? Um it but please tell everyone like where they can find out about you. Obviously, the future of sex podcast is amazing yeah now that you're listening to a podcast yeah jump on over and listen to some more yeah, yeah exactly if you were to carry this on <laughs> yeah future of sex podcast and if you're interested in a career in the industry you can apply to sex tech school at sextech.school.com which is where i uh, am running a program there and and helping out love honey with their their product lines these days as a sex tech advisor so just find me on the internet I hope you've enjoyed the second series of the Sexual Wellness Sessions. A huge thank you to my amazing guests and sponsors, without who this series wouldn't be possible. If you've got an idea for a future episode that you'd like to hear, send me a message on Instagram at Kate Moyle Therapy. And if you've got a second, I'd really appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast to help other people find it.